Hello and welcome to the World of Mouth podcast, where we share the stories of the world's best chefs and restaurateurs and their favorite destinations to travel and eat. My name is Kenneth Nars and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects over 600 restaurant experts who share their favorite restaurants from the best place to grab a hot dog or a pizza to the latest must-visit new fine dining restaurant opening. Today we're meeting Chef Andrew Wong, the award-winning chef of restaurant A. Wong in London. British-born of Chinese heritage, he left his academic studies and opened A. Wong in 2012 with his wife Natalie. Coming from a family of three generations of Chinese restaurateurs, Andrew Wong's restaurant became the first Chinese restaurant outside Asia to be awarded two Michelin stars. We'll hear Andrew Wong's story about growing up in a family of Chinese restaurateurs, and at the end of the podcast he'll reveal his favorite restaurant recommendations in London, China and the rest of the world. You'll also find these places in the World of Mouth app and in our podcast notes. Please let me know, who is Andrew Wong? Ah, that's a very interesting question, who is Andrew Wong? I think Andrew Wong is um, someone who fell into hospitality. Um, my parents uh, had a, Chinese, a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, and my family were in hospitality uh, since the early 70s in London. So they're the first Chinese uh, migrants that come to London. Um, and ever since I fell into hospitality, it's been a, a, a roller coaster ride of, of um, meeting incredible people, working very hard, evolving our cuisine. And um, I would hope that, you know, 11 years after the restaurant has opened, that um, I hope that we have at least given some people the opportunity to re-question uh, their preconceptions of what Chinese food is and what it can be and what it has been in the last uh, 3,000 years. Yes, okay. Uh, if we go back to your childhood, and so you come from, as you said, you come from a family of, of, of Chinese restaurateurs. Um, when you grew up, what, what, was, um, what kind of family, what was the, the meaning of the importance of food? How, how, how was it in your family? You know, I think not even my family, I think my culture in general, I think Chinese culture it very much centers around food. You know, I think, you know, um, you know, even a basic greeting when you get home, it isn't hello, it's have you eaten yet is the standard um, greeting when you give someone. Um, and because we we're in hospitality, everything revolved around the restaurants. Um, sometimes that was good, sometimes that was bad, you know. I think the good side of it is that there was always a focal point so that all the family would come to the restaurant, um, extended family, and we would sit around the table, we would argue, we would laugh, we would joke. Uh, but the downside, of course, is that um, there is no real family family time in the sense that your, your family becomes not only just your family, but also the extended family of the staff, um, the people, the friends of the restaurant, you know, the associates of the restaurant, it becomes a lot bigger. And sometimes, um, sometimes you miss that. I remember like when, when I started to, uh, my own family, the one big thing I always wanted to do was make sure that my kids had a very separate uh, family time, that there was an opportunity for them to sit around the table with just the immediate family, to just have simple things like breakfast or dinner together um, without you know, the random 20 or 30 other people just pop in and just join the occasion. 
if we look at your uh, way to become a chef and a restaurateur, how it wasn't that clear for you when you were young, you, you had some other plans for, for your life, actually. I wouldn't say I had other plans. I just never had this plan, I think is the interesting way okay. of putting it. Um, you know, I, I, you know when, when you grow up in a, in a restaurant, I think the one thing is, and a lot of second generation Chinese children will tell you that the restaurant normally is a means of punishment. So it's like if you, if you misbehave or you don't, do, you don't excel at school, the punishment normally is you're going to have to go to the restaurant to go and work a shift or go into the kitchen and wash plates. So growing up, actually, I never really thought about joining hospitality. But it was while I was at university that my father passed away that I just kind of fell into it. Um, and, and as I fell into it, um, somehow I ended up in the kitchen side of things. And it's one of these rabbit holes that once you open, you realise how much there is to know and then you realise how little you do know. And the more you try to know, the more you realise how little you know. Um, and, and that very much has shaped the last 18 years of my life and, and to this day, it's constantly a day in, day out, trying to um, work out uh, how to keep things moving, how to keep things evolving. You know, the more you, the more you look into it, the more you realise that you don't know and you realise how much there is to know. And that very much has shaped the last 18 years of my life, basically, just trying to find out more um, and in, in a weird way, the, the, the beautiful thing of the last 18 years for me is that cuisine has allowed me to, to really connect to not only my family, my heritage, uh, but also my culture. And that's been a, a wonderful part of the, the learning experience over the past 18 years. Um, if you um, would have to describe your restaurant, might not be easy, but how would you, for someone who hasn't been there, how would you describe A Wong, the restaurant? You know, I, I would like to think that... Um, a Wong is very much a representation of, of, of who I am. Um, it, it, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a celebration of, of my heritage, which is Chinese, um, you know, different parts of China. But it really is a, um, a, a kind of a, an, an, an expression of, of the way that I, I interact with my culture and the way that I interact with... Um, my gastronomy and my food. It's about celebrating. It's about uh, finding diversity within China. And it's about exploring uh, possibilities of, of, of what Chinese food has and, and can be. Um, the food uh, that you are serving, how would you, I mean, if you name a few uh, signature dishes or so, uh, could you mention a few of them and tell what, what the thoughts around them, what, what you've had, what thoughts you've had? Sure. So, 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 so I think the big thing about what we do in a restaurant is that, you know, a lot of people will pigeonhole us as being a Chinese restaurant. And I think that has a lot of pitfalls in the sense that people have a lot of um, association and have a lot of history with what, they, what Chinese food means to them. And so sometimes when they come to see us, sometimes it's not really what they're expecting. Because what we do really is about a celebration. So things like our dim sum, which we serve at lunchtime, um, the, the heart and the soul of all these dumplings, whether it be a Shanghai soup dumpling or be a clear shrimp uh, dumpling with some uh, Mexican yam bean inside, or it be, um, you know, a, a laminated um, scallop and fermented bean curd puff, for example. The, the, the soul is very, very kind of 
traditional in the sense that they're, they're celebrating those techniques of how to laminate dough, how to open up dough using different starches, or how to make a watertight soup dumpling. But how that is expressed is very much um, our interpretation. You know, the Shanghai dumpling, you know, I don't like, I never liked how people used to dip them in vinegar, so we inject the vinegar inside. We found different ways of trying to boost the umami flavor inside the soup dumpling, whether or not we're adding uh, cured ham fat to it, or we're adding uh, tapioca to it, whatever it might be. It's about finding our way of really celebrating those techniques. When you started, um, I mean, if we talk about the, the, the Chinese uh, restaurant scene in, in Britain and in, in London, which is quite, quite huge, um, when you started, what, what did it look like then and what kind of a change has there been since and, and which, which role do you think you, you have there in, in, this, in this particular restaurant scene? Well, you know, as I said, I mean, we're, we're very lucky in the UK. You know, the, the very earliest Chinese restaurants are probably in the late 1800s. So we've got a massive history of Chinese restaurants in the UK. Um, and then when, when um, obviously, Hong Kong was a British colony for a long, long time, until 97. So there was a lot of people from Guangdong, from Hong Kong, coming into the UK, who really, obviously, they, they contributed to a lot to the incredible... Uh, Chinese dining scene that we had, you know, the incredible dim sum restaurants, incredible Cantonese restaurants. And now, kind of post-97, is as you get less Cantonese uh, migrants coming to, to the UK, there's now people from all different parts of China, whether it become Western China, Northern China, uh, Sichuan, and, and through that comes an, an expression of cuisine. So we get a, a lot of regional Chinese restaurants now in the UK. Now, what what has my contribution been? I think when, I, when we first... Um, open the restaurant, I think there was a very specific model. You know, there were there were restaurants who are describing themselves as kind of modern Chinese, where kind of the interior, it was very kind of lifestyle driven. It was very kind of dark lacquer celebrations of Shanghai 1930s, 1950s, um, kind of dark bourgeois-esque and, and very loud and very kind of um, hip and very kind of contemporary. Um, and when we opened the restaurant, I remember specifically sitting down with my wife and discussing this and saying that we didn't want to do that. We wanted um, a restaurant which was a lot more pared back. It was a lot more organic and it was a lot, a lot more about getting people to relax and, in, and engage with the food more than the lifestyle or the, the buzz or the uh, thudding DJ sitting in the background. Um, and, and I always said it, it was, it was, it was always meant to be, um, an expression of what I always think Chinese food is and, and what Chinese food is, is basically in my eyes, it's deceptive, deceptively simple. It's, it's everyone imagines and look, thinks that a lot of it is very simple, but as you look into it and you try to explore into it a little bit more, you realize how overtly and incredibly complex all the techniques are. In the next part of the podcast, we'll hear Andrew Wong's favorite restaurant recommendations in London, China, and the rest of the world. If we talk about um, London, where you are based, um, 
then uh, talking about restaurants, uh, as this is the world of mouth, which is the, the restaurant guide recommending favorite places of, of all, all our experts and, and all our users. Um, if you would have to pick a handful of favorite places, Chinese or not, sure. in uh, in London, uh, where would you where would you guide me? In London, you know, I'm I'm very um, I I'm very simple when it comes to eating. I don't like um, when I in my own free time, um, unless it's a special occasion. I don't normally eat out in very kind of high end fine dining restaurants. To me, eating is about commensality. It's about the company, and it's about if anything, the food being a, 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 an extra to that. So the, the food that I like to eat is normally food that can be shared. Um, so if I was to name a few restaurants, I would say there's a restaurant called Hoppers, which is a Sri Lankan restaurant, um, started by a good friend of mine, Karan. Um, That's in Soho? In Soho, but there's also a few other yeah. ones around London now. And uh, To me, he's one of the most amazing chefs where you feel the personality inside the food. Uh, you feel his love of the culture and you really feel his understanding of hospitality inside that restaurant, which I love. Even though there's like three or four branches now and it's become this incredible brand in inverted commas, it still has this wonderful essence to it when you go in there. Um, and their bone marrow curry to this day is still one of my favourite things to eat. Um, and my kids are very picky eaters and even they love this bone marrow curry, which is quite strange if you think about it. It's, you know, bone marrow in a curry. Like, why would a seven-year-old enjoy this? But they love it. Uh, just that with some some roti is is, is amazing, to, in, in my opinion. Um, and for someone who for someone who doesn't know what a hopper is, could you explain what a hopper is? Well, I'm no expert in in, in Sri Lankan cuisine. So, from what I understand, is a hopper is basically made from fermented lentils, I think, which are then ground up into a paste. And then they, 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 I love their egg hoppers. So basically it's a batter which they set into a round bowl. Um, and then they make this crepe which sets inside this bowl, but they put a, um, a sunny side up egg in the middle of it. So it sets inside. So as you eat it with your curry, the egg yolk then pops um, and you get this wonderful array of textures of that crisp outside of the crepe with kind of a soft fermented lentil batter in the middle with the egg, with the curry, with the bone marrow. It's, uh, it's, it's, it really is. It really goes to show, in my opinion, how cuisines such as regional Chinese food, Sri Lankan food, different regional Indian food, they're so unexplored yet um, to such a massive part of the world um, that even if you can understand a small part of each of the regions, um, you're going to open up this Pandora box of most incredible techniques. Okay, hoppers. Um, anything else? Uh, again, I, I'm a big fan of kind of um, spice. Uh, another one of my really favorite restaurants is a restaurant called Lahore Kebab House, uh, which is a Pakistani restaurant um, in East London. And it's a restaurant that uh, I used to go to with my parents a lot when my father was alive, usually after restaurant service because it opens quite late. And you go there, I used to love, and I still do love, two things on their menu, which is the, the lamb chops, which are, I don't, still to this day, I don't know how you can make a lamb chop so thin, barbecue it in a tandoor, and it still be so tender and juicy. It, 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 it's a quite an incredible, it must be something to do with a yogurt marinade or something, I don't know how they do it. Uh, beautifully charred on the outside, but succulent and full of spice and flavour on the inside. And then they do a, a chicken on a bone curry, uh, which is again, delicious. 
Um, I don't think it contains any uh, coconut milk or anything, which, which keeps it quite light. And then all their breads are made to order, uh, whether it be the naans, the paratas, whatever it might be. Uh, and to me, if there was one thing that I would love to be a master at, um, it would be uh, Indian, Pakistani and, and, and Sri Lankan breads. Um, to me, the array and the selection of breads that are available, whether it be a Ramali roti or be a, um, I think they're called a butara or be called a naan or whatever it is, the incredible selection that exists in this repertoire is amazing. Uh, and when you eat them, that one straight out of a tandoor is such a magical, magical experience. Yeah, sounds delicious. Okay, anything else? Um, I gotta say, the, the one restaurant I always try to recommend is my friend's restaurant in Chinatown. So it's called uh, Long Fong, um, and it sits above a supermarket. And uh, Mr. Lee, who owns this restaurant, is has been a family friend of ours for over 40 years um, and he's probably one of the only and I think he is the only original um, Hong Kong restaurateurs left in Chinatown you know in 2023 now a lot of the restaurants are owned by massive conglomerates or they're owned by these um, big multi-million pound uh, investors from mainland China but he still is one of the the only original um, restaurateur left from Hong Kong who by trade was a dim sum chef. So whenever we go there, not only are, are we welcome like the family, you know, my kids can run around, all the staff know us, but also because he's such an incredible dim sum chef, me and him really, um, we like to chat a lot about dim sum, about different techniques. Uh, he likes to teach me a lot of the time about kind of a lot old, older dim sum, which, which sometimes isn't available in the UK anymore. It's more kind of stuff that you see in Hong Kong. Uh, and so he's become an incredible friend of mine over the years. Um, and at the same time, his food really is, you know, it, to me, it, it's, it reminds me so much of the food of Hong Kong. Um, uh, but also the spirit of it reminds me so much of Hong Kong. Any favorite uh, dim sums or dishes there that you would recommend? Yeah, you know, my favorites are um, the Welks. I, I, they have uh, one dim sum, which is basically steamed Welks in in a kind of a Malay curry sauce. I also love their egg tarts um, because, you know, I, I, I love dim sum and I love making dim sum. And the art of making that laminated dough, just laminated enough, but just crumbly enough, is such a wonderful, wonderful skill. And when you see it done well and you eat it, uh, when it's just warm, so it's been out of the oven for maybe about an hour, it's a, it's a really, truly um, special eating experience. Okay, anything, a uh, few more places in London or in the UK? I think the last really kind of posh, shall we say, in inverted commas, a meal that we went to, uh, my wife and I went to the Ledbury, um, which I love. And I think that it's such a, a wonderful restaurant. And I remember before we opened a Wong. Um, we, we used to go to the Ledbury a lot, my wife and I, and it was always like, wow, what a special place. And, and if we were to ever open our own restaurant, we'd love it to be like this in a sense that it pushes boundaries. Yeah, at the same time, it's, um, it's very cool because it's understated. 
Um, but it's completely relevant. Um, yet so avant-garde at the same time. And I think Brett is such an incredible chef. Um, and I think over the last few years, he's really got into his farming and the rearing of animals. And now he's really into like the mushroom cultivation. Um, and, and that passion, you see it on the plate, but you also see it in the restaurant. The service is incredible. Um, and it really is such a special place in a, in, in again, like, like our restaurant, it's not in like a traditionally kind of really trendy part of town. Um, it, it, it's, it's in the side street down in Notting Hill. Um, and, and to have such a, a world-class restaurant in a place like this only makes it even more special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more place, if you would go for something, I mean, Chinatown or not, but something very simple, Chinese or Asian noodles, like street foody, some, something like that? Sure. Um, I think in, in, in London, I think, actually, I wouldn't say it was a single restaurant. I said the last place I've been going to a, a bit is... Um, they they've started a there's a wonderful restaurant group called uh, JKS and they've just opened a food hall in Battersea Power Station and Battersea Power Station is a really special place to me because growing up I used to live directly opposite the power station so it's it, it, I think it went out of um, operation in 1982 which is when I was born uh, but I moved to that house in 1989. And from the house, you'd look directly across the river, and that was always Battersea Power Station. And they've taken, what, 30-odd years to turn this power station into this wonderful kind of um, uh, focal point and, and attraction in London. And the JKS group have put this really, really cool um, food arcade in there where there's a wonderful mix of different restaurants, uh, whether it be kind of Bao, uh, restaurant with their noodles and their buns, um, to a restaurant that does kind of Thai food and there's a restaurant that does um, flatbreads. And in 2023, you know, when, when I have kids now, actually those kind of places are so enjoyable because you go there, there's an incredible energy to them and you can still have an incredible array of not only dishes but also multiple cuisines. And I think it's really fitting to to the times that we live in now um, that that... So many people enjoy this, this concept and, and this style of eating. Uh, okay, if we then move uh, to other parts of, of the world, we leave uh, uh, London and uh, somewhere else, be it Asia or the US or any mainland Europe or anywhere else, something you would, you would love. Sure. I think, number one, let's not go straight to Asia. We'll go to Asia eventually. Uh, let's go to Spain first, I think. We go to Spain, uh, we go to Barcelona, uh, and it would have to be um, Enigma. It would have to be Enigma by Albert Adria. Um, I went there just before lockdown when he still had tickets and um, Joe Sancho and the other restaurants around there. And to me, Albert's restaurant, um, it embodies who he is. And that is someone who is constantly curious, constantly pushing the boundaries, but at the same time, all encompassing of the global chef community and the ingredients that the world has to offer. And it's his dedication and his obsession with trying to learn more, trying to integrate techniques from other cuisines to make 
his Spanish ingredients better, which is truly, truly inspirational. Um, I, I never, ever uh, thought I'd ever um, have the pleasure of meeting him. Um, but over a year, you know, years, years, I think we've been known each other now for six years. He's such an incredible guy, so humble, um, very, very relaxed in his persona. He has a very, very kind of clear-cut, um, no-bullshit approach to cuisine, which is basically stop talking, get to work, try things, test things. If they work, they work. If they don't work, try again. And we were lucky enough to do an event with him earlier this year. And it really was um, a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see him spend time with him and see how he thinks and how he ticks. Um, he loves the Chinese repertoire. And he's constantly asking, oh, Andrew, you know, but how, what about this? And what about that? And he's super curious about everything. And the end products that he puts onto a plate, they're different, but the heart of them is, is so soulful um, that you see that it, it, it number one, it, it's, it stems from an obsession with ingredients, the very, very best ingredients in their peaks. And then it's about an embodiment of who he is. And I think there's so few chefs in this world now who, who can embody that. And you look at their stuff and you go, you know what? This stuff isn't copied. This really is 100% coming from you, the madness in your brain, and a constant evolution of you ticking along of how to push things forward. Um, and to me, I've never met any chef like him. Um, and, and to eat in his restaurant is uh, one of life's bucket lists, you know? That's right, yes, yes. Okay, uh, so that's uh, Enigma in Barcelona. Um, anything else on your list? Yeah, I think before we go to Asia, I would probably say um, Enrico Creeper's restaurant in Alba, um, Piazza Duomo. You know, we, we, you, know you, you always look at the Michelin Guide, right? And, and you look at the definitions of, of one star, two star, three star. This is, you know, what one star is worth worth a special journey and two stars worth a special journey and three stars like worth an extra special journey and then you go to somewhere like Alba number one um whether it be in you know the peak Barolo season harvesting time or you go in truffle season and then you go to this place you know you get off you, you land in Turin you rent a car you go and drive through the mountains to get to the restaurant in the square you stay in the hotel there and then the way that he, he does his food, you know, are the ingredients all local? Yeah, because he's obsessed with, with local ingredients from his, his foraging and stuff like that. But to me, what I love about it is actually that style of eating very much reminds me of how we eat in China. You go there and like nine plates arrive at the same time. And it's not just about each dish. It's also about how each dish connects with the next dish and how you experience food through that collection. And it's very much something that we try to do in the restaurant. Very trying to encourage guests not to eat things, uh, dishes in isolation, but eat them as collections and understand that, you know, this, this Eurocentric ideology of eating things as a single plate is absolutely just a Western concept. You know, in many parts in the world, you know, China makes up 1.3 billion. India makes up just over 1 billion. That's 2.3 billion people. That's more than half the world already. You know, we don't eat like that. 
And watching someone like Enrico um, put his cuisine into that format is such a wonderful thing. And, and I, I like to always think of it as a celebration and, or, or like a, a little bit of an homage to our cuisine, which makes it very warm and I can connect to it very well. Okay, uh, do you want to move to Asia? Uh, yeah, I like to move to Asia. I think one of my um, favorite restaurants I, I like in is in Macau. Um, it's a restaurant called Eight in a Grand Lisbon hotel, and it, it you know it's very casino esque. You know, it's very bling, and and then you go there, it's it's full of like millionaire gamblers basically. But in this restaurant, um, number one, the decor is beautiful. It's it's. I wouldn't like to, it's my decor, but it's very grand. You go in there, uh, the entrance lobby has, it's, it's a dark alleyway. And in there is like loads of goldfish, like illuminated all over the floor as you walk through into the dining room. And as you go into the dining room, there's this like humongous, like diamond ball, like suspended in the middle of the dining room. Um, and it just looks grand, you know. Um, and then the dim sum, in my opinion, um, you know, a lot of people you know, have differing kind of opinions of what dim sum they like and whether they like traditional dim sum or they like more modern dim sum. What I love about eight is that they're constantly trying new things with dim sum. Every time you go there, they're trying a new thing, you know, whether it be a new shape or they're trying to make things into a shape of a goldfish or into a shape of a squid or they're playing with a different pastry or they're mixing two pastries together or the last time that I went, they were making a, you know, a very traditional dumpling but they just cut the meat in a different way inside the dumpling so that when you eat it, there's a different mouth sensation to it because, you know, it's sliced, it's different to the traditional way of kind of mincing everything up and it's those little things that I think is so rare to find in a lot of dim sum restaurants because you know a lot of dim sum chefs are are very true to tradition they don't like to change they don't like you know this is our heritage this is the way we've always done things and we have to do it that way and it's so nice to see a restaurant which is you know still very much a traditional dim sum restaurant um yet at the same time it's pushing boundaries in a very understated way that maybe people don't realize but for myself as a dim sum chef um, we, I, I, I notice a lot of this stuff and it's really nice to know that there's still this old guard of dim sum chefs pushing things forward all the time. Okay, anything else there? In, the uh, in Asia? Yeah. Yeah, I think in, uh, again, if we're talking about, if we're talking about kind of Chinese food, the last time I went to Hong Kong a few um, months ago, um, there's a restaurant by a chef called Vicky, um, which is called Wing. And he used to have a restaurant, he, he still has a restaurant called VEA, I think it's called, Via, I think it's pronounced. Um, but his restaurant Wing is a very much a, a celebration of uh, Chiljiao and, and Cantonese food, I think, um, is the regions that he likes to celebrate a lot. Um, and it's, it's a very, very uh, innovative approach to the cuisine. I think, you know, with Chinese cuisine, we have so much history. Um, it, it's, it's just always really, really nice to see chefs who are, who are just pushing things in a different direction. You know, I don't always say... I, I never say that our generation of chefs are ever um, improving things in any way. You know, people think that oh, they're elevated. We don't elevate cuisine. Our, the Chinese cuisine is incredible. It doesn't need us 
to elevate anything. We can't. All we can do is celebrate it. But also we can do just take it, take it in a slightly different direction. And I really like the direction that he takes it in. I feel, I feel like it's, um, it, it really pays respect to um, our heritage and our culture. But at the same time, it engages um, a new demographic of people into our world by uh, doing things a little bit differently. Very good. One or two more in, in, in Asia or, or somewhere else? In Asia, um, sure. I think, I've never actually been to this restaurant, but this restaurant is number one on my bucket list. Um, and it's, um, I've forgotten the chef's name. Is it Daniel, Daniel Calvert, his name? Uh, uh, yes. Cezanne is his name, no? Is the restaurant Cezanne, name, no? yeah. Cezanne. And um, i tell you why I love I, he's number one on my bucket list, is because he's a chef who I, I was following when he was working in Hong Kong. And all chefs used to talk about how he's just obsessive. Like, it, I, they were talking about how it was, it was World Cup and all the chefs would meet up to go and watch the football. And I think like halfway through a match, he would say, sorry guys, I need to go, I need to make bread for tomorrow. Everyone else would stay out and watch football. He would go back to the restaurant and start making bread for the next day. And as, when he moved to Tokyo, um, you start looking at his cuisine. And to me, it's like if there was a modern version of the French laundry using Asian ingredients with immense amounts of respect, that would be it. Um, you can tell that his level of technique is incredible um and when you add you know hairy crab you know whatever ingredients might be which is local to him in in tokyo now um with his technique in my mind i just know it's going to be absolutely mind-boggling um and it's exactly the type of food that i like to eat i'm not really someone who like really likes to eat food that is kind of like gimmicky or um you know, kind of razzmatazz, fireworks everywhere. I really like kind of food which has a soul to it, whether it would be kind of like a, a very old school French soul or it'd be kind of old school Cantonese soul. Um, I, I really like very wholesome, homely food. And, you, and that food, regardless of how modern it is, you really get the feeling that the number one thing you're going to think when you eat this food is it's going to be delicious. You know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna have to make me want to think too much. It's not gonna make me have to go and Google stuff. It's just gonna be delicious. Okay, Sasan in Tokyo on your bucket list. Yeah, number one. Yeah, Sasan in, in in Tokyo is on my list. Um, another one, I would probably say on my list of my favorite restaurants. To this day, I've got to say in Hong Kong. Um, Tin Ho Wan um, their pork buns um, to, to this day I still feel like they are truly truly one of the most exceptional dim sums ever to be created um, you know they have an extensive menu um, but I go back specifically for that bun you know, many restaurants make that bun but they don't make it like they make it um, I don't know if you ever have the chance. Their, their baked chasu bun is what they're most famous for. Um, yep. And many people make it, and I've tried to make it. But there's something very special about their one. You know, the, the, the top layer is very crunchy and has just the right level of sweetness. 
But when you bite into it, there's a gap of air between where the bun is souffléed up and the really rich amounts of filling, of, of roast pork, honey roast pork filling. Uh, and when you eat it as a whole, that first layer of crunch with the baked, with the hot filling, with the air in the middle, it's a very, very, very special dim sum that, um, which, which I, I've happily um, walked the streets of Hong Kong trying to find the one in some random metro station somewhere um, in order to get my, um, my fix on um, these, these baked pork buns. Okay, uh, I think this was a great, um, great final recommendation uh, for, for Hong Kong. Uh, Andrew Wong, uh, thank you so much for this and good luck with, with your restaurant and uh, such a pleasure talking to you. Brilliant, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the World of Mouth podcast with Chef Andrew Wong, the chef at restaurant A Wong in London. Find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more on the World of Mouth app, available in your app store, or visit our website at worldofmouth.app. You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. I'm Kenneth Nars, until next week with a new podcast guest.